Today we're going to talk about towels and toilets. How's that? Good? Hang out with three little kids too much, you get potty mouth. So I want you to, to make a couple theological exceptions for me for illustration's sake. And imagine for a moment, if you will, that Jesus is walking around the world somewhere today. Okay? Where would you look for him? Say that you really wanted to find him. You don't know where he is. Where would you look? Maybe you go to like a uh, packed sports venue because he could do signs and miracles there. He could proclaim the truth to hundreds of thousands of people all at once. So you go down to a packed sports venue and know Jesus. Maybe you go to a radio station or television station um, because on the airways, millions of people can be reached and see what he can do. But you go to the radio station, the TV station, there's no Jesus there. So you look all over, no luck. Maybe you think he's at the White House or the Kremlin or uh, I don't know many other names of places where world leaders live, but visiting with world leaders and uh, wanting to have them come to faith so they can influence the nations they're entrusted with. But no, he's not there. And, and you go back home after this journey looking for him and you hear someone in your house and you hear water kind of sloshing and you look in the bathroom and Jesus is cleaning your toilet. What do you say when you find Jesus... God in the flesh, he through whom all things were created and for whom all things were created, scrubbing out your toilet. Hold that in your mind for a minute, because what I'm going to show you today is in John 13, we see that the concept of Jesus scrubbing out a toilet isn't so far-fetched. We're going to look today at John 13, the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Um, it's a... It's a story most people know. I don't like calling it a story because it's a historical event. Um, most people know about this, but, but I think we, we really miss what's going on. <clears throat> think about if you saw Jesus cleaning your toilet, how you would react, what you would say, and what he would say. As we look at John 13, we're going to look at three people. We're going to look at Jesus Judas and Peter, and we're going to see why I bring up toilets and why it's not such a far-fetched concept that Jesus might, in fact, clean your toilet. John 13, starting in verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him... Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had to come from God and was going back to God, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, "'Lord, do you wash my feet?' Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, 
you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you, knew, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. We'll stop there. We'll pick it up next week from that spot. But Jesus is at a dinner with his disciples, right? One of the disciples we know is going to go bad, and now we know that Jesus knows that he's going to go bad. And Jesus washes his feet. Some churches have foot washing services. Catholic church, on Monday, Thursday, the Pope will come out and wash people's feet. Um, some Protestant churches have foot washing services. And I think there's a danger in these foot washing services that we miss what's really going on here. Back when this took place, it would be like if you were out in the field tending crops and someone had put manure in the field and you came back into the house, you'd want to get your shoes off, right? Well, these people didn't wear boots, they wore sandals. And they didn't work the fields packed with manure, but remember, there's no, there were no toilets at the time for Jesus to clean. There was no indoor plumbing. There were uh, streets in the, in the finer cities that would have sewage, uh, open-air lines running through to clear out. Most places, you would just have sewage thrown out a, a window and animals all over the place, and people's feet were disgusting. So when you would enter a house, you would have your feet clean. And typically, there was a servant who would do this, and the servant who did it was the lowliest servant possible. So these disciples are sitting around the table with Jesus, and apparently no one had washed their feet, perhaps because it was so societally entrenched in them that, that they wouldn't wash someone's feet. Someone would wash their feet, yet there was no one there, no lowly servant to wash for them. So they're sitting around a table, and then you, you have to realize... What's about to happen here? Jesus, remember back to uh, the beginning, um, John the Baptist said of Jesus, is, what is it, in 127 maybe? Um, I'm pretty sure it is. He says, he refer, John 127, he refers to Jesus as, he who, the strap of whose sandal I am unworthy to untie. That guy, that Jesus, is about to clean yuck off people's feet. He's about to act as the lowliest of servants to his very own disciples. As we look at this, we're going to have to think about two things. First of all, the why Jesus did it. But the second of all, why did God have this recorded in his word for all times? Why does God want us to know that Jesus did this? Okay, Real event, really recorded by God for us. And that's what we're going to look at today. And we're going to start with Jesus. Two weeks ago, if you'll remember, we talked about humility. Talk about pride and humility and our, our need to be humble before God, the issue of loving and hating your life um, versus loving and hating Jesus. Look at verse 3 here. It says, Jesus, knowing that his Father had given all things into his hands, into his hands in an expression for saying, put everything under his power. This is Jesus, God in the flesh. Extraordinarily powerful person. Who was God? No the most powerful person who ever lived. This is God in the flesh. The Father's put everything under his hand, and Jesus is not only sitting at a table, but about to wash people's feet. And I want you to think about these questions. Why is Jesus at this table in the first place? Jesus came down from heaven, right? Why is he at this table? Think about why, what was his motivation in coming to free us from captivity to sin? We had offended Jesus. Jesus is God. 
When we understand sin, we understand how incredibly we have offended Jesus. But yet he chose to come down from heaven and take the mockery, humiliation, and abuse, and then die on a cross. Why? He loved us. Did he have to? Should he have? Strict, should, well, should he have by human standards? No. But Jesus chose, even though we had offended him so, even though we had mocked him so, even though we had been spiritually adulterous time and time again, to come down and find himself at this table. Right? And then he comes from this table, and a couple verses came to mind. One of them was 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Understand what that's saying. God made him who knew no sin, God is perfect, to be sin for our sake, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus took all of our junk upon himself to take the wrath of God. Chew on the why and what that means, and and that'll help us understand this. Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8 reads, referring to Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus didn't primarily wash these guys' feet because they stunk. It wasn't like he was having trouble getting down dinner because of the smell and said, let me clean this up. But imagine you're one of the disciples and you're starting to understand far more fully who the Messiah really is. And you assume that you're getting to a point, remember he just rode the donkey into town? Then we looked at the donkey versus the white horse, the first coming versus the second coming. Well, they assume he's about to, to, to implement his kingdom on earth. And he's having dinner with them, and he keeps telling them this crazy stuff, like, I'm going to die, I'm going to come back to life. And they're not grasping this, because they're assuming the conquering Messiah. And they're having this dinner, and we know from Luke that there was a bit of a discussion about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Well, they're having these wacky conversations, and all of a sudden, out of the corner of your eye, you see Jesus get up. And you think, what is he doing? And all of a sudden, he disappears, and you notice he's stripping his clothes off. And you're thinking, what is going on? And he puts on the clothes of the lowliest servant, fills a bowl with water, and grabs a towel around his waist. Now, the conversation at this point has stopped, because remember I said, imagine if Jesus was in your house scrubbing the toilet? You know what I would say? Nothing. I would just be staring dumbfounded, because Jesus doesn't scrub toilets. Especially my toilet. Jesus got up to wash their feet. And this makes no sense to them. Why would he wash their feet? And then he washes their feet. And you know what he says to them here in verse 15? If I can turn back. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. God in the flesh came down in human form, becoming sin for our sake becoming a person, humbling himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, right? He went as low as you could go and and illustrated it by washing their feet as the lowliest of servants, and then says to us, you go and do likewise. Let's unpack the go and do likewise here as we make it a little bit more difficult. There are some people who are very easy to serve. You take a a grandparent, 
You know how you get two sets of grandparents, the one who's great and the other one who's not? Well, I, I didn't just say it. Imagine the perfect grandparent. Renee, you'd be on that perfect side, I'm sure. The perfect, the, the grandparent who, who was always around, who taught you to ride a bike, who brought you to the bakery, who took you to the toy store all the time. They, they're just like the, the perfect grandparent from a human perspective, right? And when they get older and they slow down and they can't move and do stuff for themselves, helping them out is a pleasure. You know, it's, sure it might be taxing, but, but it's something you want to do because you just love them because they were so kind to you. Or you think of a little kid who's lost. You know, how many people would walk by a five-year-old crying, I can't find my mommy. Sorry, kid, I'm busy. Go find someone else. We stop to help a little five-year-old kid who's crying. It's a pleasure to help a child because they're so needy. They, they, they just utterly dependent on other people. And we just like helping them, right? Now think of the worst person that you've come across in your life. The person who's stolen from you, wronged you, mocked you, lied about you, uh, just really made your life miserable. Now imagine they're crying and they need help. You know that grin you get, oh, like I'm going to stop and help you? Or, or that, that uh, relative who's more like your age and they just have been annoying since you've been an infant and you know, then they're, can you help me out? No, I'm not helping you out. Every time I help you, you're just taking money from me and you never say thank you. You don't do anything for yourself. I'm not helping. You know those people that are difficult to serve? Jesus washed some feet, right? How many disciples did he have? Huh? Good. Yell it out there. Twelve. Twelve. There we go. <laughs> Twenty-four feet. Two of them were real nasty. You know who's were real nasty? Jesus. Judas. John tells us that Jesus knew what Judas was going to do. If I was Jesus, you'd all be in a lot of trouble. But if I was Jesus, we'd all be in a lot of trouble, not just you. I would have taken that bowl of water that I brought over, and I would have submerged Judas's head into the thing, and I would have given a lesson on, don't you dare betray me or I'll drown you in a bowl like this. But that's not what Jesus did. He washed Judas's feet, even though he knew what Judas was going to do. Why? Isn't that crazy? He loved Judas, and he washed his feet because he loved him, and because it brought glory to the Father, plain and simple. No personal gain to Jesus from washing Judas's feet. He knew he wasn't going to convince him to, to not betray him. Judas had to betray Jesus. It was part of the plan. Judas chose to betray him. We'll deal with our sovereignty and free will another time. Jesus simply did it because he loved him and it brought glory to the Father. You got any Judases in your life? When we read about Judas, I think we like to beat up on him. Here's, here's some things Judas was. He was a liar. He was a hypocrite. He stole money from God. He denied Jesus. Why the heck would Jesus wash his feet? And then when I wrote those things, I thought, oh boy, a liar. What's a liar? A hypocrite. Uh, kind of one who doesn't live the way they know they should. Stole money from God. I don't think that God gave me an exemption on, you know, before you were a Christian, all that uh, lack of tithing and stuff, because you were, didn't feel any need to, and uh, how you allocated your funds, we'll give a free pass on that. That doesn't count as sin. Stole money from God, denied Jesus, and then I think, oh boy, Judas and me are kind of similar in some respects, um, and I won't, I won't comment on maybe if you have some similarities with Judas, that's something you and God can talk about. 
But I realized that Judas's feet absolutely didn't deserve to be washed, nor would mine have deserved to be washed. I think sometimes we could think of, you know, John, John's Gospel. Well, yeah, Jesus should have washed his feet. I mean, this is, this is the Apostle John. This is the guy who wrote Revelation, the, the letters of John. This is the guy who, who went out and proclaimed God's love to so many people. We still read of it today. Of course Jesus would want to wash his feet because he was a good guy, right? He was a perfect guy. He didn't know he would fall more in line with Judas than Jesus. And Peter, humble Peter, we'll look at him in a minute. You understand, here's the problem we have. We're right to say that Judas didn't deserve to have his feet washed, just as we're right to say the person who's wronged us more severely than anyone else in the world doesn't deserve our love. They don't. But we're wrong to assume that we deserve to have our feet washed or be cleansed from our sins, and we're, um, we're right to say we're wrong to believe that, and we're right to say that we don't deserve to be forgiven by God. You and I don't, but I think sometimes if we're not careful, we assume, well, of course God would choose me. Look at all I have to offer, as opposed to seeing ourselves more like Judas. So while there's great joy and pleasure in serving the, the grandparent or the, the small child, child, if we focus off of ourself, pride, and onto God, humility, we'll see that there is equally as much joy in serving the person that we despise. Because we understand who it is who served us, what he did for us, why he did it, and what he commands us to do. You see that? Think of, think of something that someone has done to wrong you. Do you know who's the most offended party there? It's God. Psalm 51.4, David's writing this psalm as he's reflecting on his incident, incident in quotes, with Bathsheba and Uriah. You remember that one? David was hanging out on the porch and Bathsheba was uh, taking a bath and uh, Uriah happened to be away at a battle and David had Uriah killed so that he could um, cover up his um, little problem of the pregnancy with Bathsheba. And David says to God in Psalm 51.4, Against you, you only, have I sinned. He's not saying, I don't care about Bathsheba and Uriah, I didn't do anything wrong to them. No, he's saying, the greatest sin is against God. Understand that. Whenever we sin, the greatest offended party is always God. If I stole somebody's car, that's a bad thing. The person, the, the, the party who is most offended is God because I've broken God's command. Thou shalt not steal. While we're offended by people, we need to understand that God is, is more offended or sinned against, and God offers to forgive them. It's a crazy thing, isn't it? Because God He should change His standards. He and I should have a sit-down and have a list of people, and I should say, all right, God... This person, I see a bit of a remorsefulness in them. You should forgive them. But this person's a flat-out jerk. I mean, they need to go to hell, I'm just saying. And he would say, okay, I see what you're saying, and we can modify it that way? That's not what God says. Jesus came, right? God gave his only son that whosoever would believe in him would have eternal life. Whoever. Not just whoever was good enough, not whoever tried hard enough, whoever seemed to merit it. Whoever. Like the Judases in the world. Quite simply, you and I will never be able to serve people who we don't like unless we understand what Jesus did, not just washing the feet, but sitting on the cross. Until we take the focus off of ourselves, pride, and put it on Jesus' humility, we will have extraordinarily, extraordinary difficulty serving other people when it doesn't bring us personal pleasure.
let's get off Judas for a minute and go visit with Peter. I would say Peter is probably one of my favorite people in the Bible for a variety of reasons. So Jesus, we don't know the order of the foot washing, but assume he passes by Judas and, and cleaned him up. And he gets over to Peter. And Peter, now Peter is a humble guy, right? Jesus comes and he walks up to Peter to wash his feet. And Peter says, Lord, do you wash my feet? Remember the opening illustration? You walk in your house, Jesus is scrubbing out the toilets. Jesus, stop! Stop! You're God! Don't wash the toilets! I'll wash the toilets! You sit down! Let me, let me get you something to eat in here! You have the remote control and I'll clean the toilets! That's my job, not your job! Doesn't that sound great? Isn't that what we should say? No? I mean, can you walk in? Hey, Jesus, can you do the one upstairs too? I'm going to go get some lunch. That, that's just ridiculous. But no, we say, no, don't do that. That's what Peter did. Perfect example. The problem is, if Jesus is cleaning the toilet, and you walk in the house, and you tell him no, you're saying, hey, bud, I know better than you do. That's not what you should be doing. Uh, ooh, that's a lot of pride talking, disguised in humility, isn't it? Jesus comes to wash Peter's feet, and Peter says, no, this is not what you should be doing. This is a recurring theme with Peter. Jesus says to him, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will. So Peter's like, okay, I get it now, right? Sticks his feet out there. You're never going to wash my feet. Peter has got some issues. Peter's got pride issues. Maybe it's why I can relate to Peter so well. Because sometimes we can mask pride and humility. And I don't mean we're trying to trick people. We're tricking ourselves. Because I know if I walked into my house and Jesus was washing, well, I'd like to believe if I walked into my house and Jesus was washing the toilet, I would say, no, don't do it. There's a part of me thinking, thank goodness someone has done it. But if I walked in and he was doing it, I'd like to, I would probably end up saying, that's not what you should be doing. But that's me telling him I know better than him, and I know that I would probably do it because I do that in other areas. But, but couldn't it, see, it's sort of, I don't know, maybe I'm not thinking this right, but I, I understand Jesus had to, we can't clean ourselves up, he has to do it. Mm-hmm. But by the same token, if I walked into my house and you were cleaning my toilet, I'd kill you. Because, because I, I'm, I, you, I'm not good enough for you to come and clean my toilet. I mean, you know what I mean? That, that's that's, just, that's it, right here. That's pride? That's, you know what? That's exactly, thank you for the transition. It, it, it is. <laughs> One of the biggest problems we have as people is being humble enough to accept help from other people. You and I have been trained from a young age to be self-dependent people. We're not supposed to ask for help, we're supposed to take care of ourselves. If you, if you, the, the pull yourself up by the bootstrap expression, I, I remember as a little kid sit, sitting in my dad's cowboy boots, I didn't know what bootstraps were, right, but they had these, these loops my dad has big feet, and I was probably, you know, five, six years old. I remember sitting in a chair and pulling on them, trying to see if I could lift myself up, because I had heard this expression. And, of course, in my over, uh, overly analytical mind, I was saying to my dad, you know, it's physically impossible to lift yourself up by your own bootstraps because force goes down against the force that pushes up that cancels out. I have issues, people. But you can't pull yourself up by the bootstraps, but we're told to, aren't we? You can't take care of yourself, but we're told we need to be able to take care of ourselves. We're to be an independent, self-motivated, self-reliant people. And that means if we have a problem, we want to keep it covered up. You don't want to ask for prayer requests before church. 
let's all be honest for a minute. There are some things we're not going to share during that, isn't are there? We, we all have some things going on that like, eh, I'm not, I'm not putting that one out there because people might know that I'm not perfect. Can I let you in on a secret? We all know. But we like to keep those things covered up because we don't want to let people see too far below the surface because then this myth might be ruined that, that we're all perfect and completely self-dependent and self-reliant and don't have any problems at home. You see, I'm probably the only one that has never had an argument with my spouse and whose kids are always obedient. You know, it, it's very rare you meet someone like me. I have no stress. I have no concerns about everything because I'm a Christian, right? I can, I can trust Jesus. I do so perfectly. And basically, uh, 95% of the time when I share my faith, people come to faith. I'm the only one you'll ever meet like this. Please, do you know how messed up we all are? But we like to keep this lie going, that we have everything in order, and based on this lie, rooted in pride, we don't like to ask for help or receive help. You know who loves that? The devil. Do you know God refers to his church as a body made up of many parts? You ever think of how a body would work without the parts being dependent on each other? I want to hold a glass of water. Well, go get it. Okay. This thing can't move. This hand is stuck. These things down here, the hand needs to say, feet, can you walk me over there? They're working together. The feet don't go, ha ha, you need us because you can't go without us. And the hand goes, well, you can't get water to you unless I grab the water. No, the body works together. But as a church, we end up in pride, not wanting to ask for help because we might find out we're not perfect. It's not you. This is every church does this. If we keep our needs masked, we can't function properly. Now, I'm not saying next Sunday when I ask what we can pray for, I'm looking for people to unload the dump truck, okay? <laughs> there are some things that don't need to be aired out in front of everybody in all of our lives. There are some things that are good to keep between us and God, okay? But when we have a real need, let, let's say, this is not the case, but let's say I can't pay the bills this month. And not because I'm out gambling in, in uh, you know, Mohegan Sun, six days a week. Let's say that, that realistically, Laura lost her job and we're on really hard times and we just can't make it this month. I have two options, folks. I have uh, option one. Don't tell anyone because then they're going to know that I can't pay the bills. And, and as a man, that's embarrassing. If you can't pay the bills, I don't want people to know I can't pay the bills. Or I could say, hey guys, we can't pay our bills this month. Can you help? In Christian circles, when you, when you need money, you start by asking if people would pray for you. It sounds better. People should, you know, you, you could say, could anyone help us pay the bills, please? And if not, can you pray for us? You know, we could be honest. But it's okay to ask for help. It takes incredible humility. It takes realizing that your feet were washed, that you didn't deserve your feet to be washed. And do you know, Jesus says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Do you know that's not in the Gospels, though? It's in Acts. Acts 20.35. It's in the Bible. A friend of mine called me about a year ago, and he said, John, I need, I need some advice from you. I said, oh, you're in trouble, aren't you? He said, yeah, I'm in big trouble. They could not pay their bills at all for several months. And a, a family called him up, said, I don't know why. God's just laid on our heart that we need to, to give you money. And they gave him a check 
They said, you fill in the amount. Don't want to know what it is, a very wealthy couple. Don't want to know what it is, but I don't, we, don't, we don't feel that God's calling us to just help you pay your immediate need. They didn't even know he had it. They knew he did from God, not from him, petitioning them. But we want you guys to take care of some stuff that you need to have taken care of. It's created a very awkward situation for him. Fill in the dollar amount. And they weren't talking about five, six hundred bucks. We're talking in the ballpark of ten to twenty thousand dollars. First, he refused to take the check from them. He didn't want it. Because he wanted to take care of it himself. Then he took the check, but he wrote an amount way lower than he needed just to pay his immediate bills. And and when he told the people how much so they could adjust their account, the wife said, No, Dave, that's not right. So he called me up. And it struck me that in, in his, which we all have, unwillingness to receive service from another, he's blocking a blessing from God. It's more blessed to give than to receive. If I have a need, if you have a need that we as a church can meet, and I'm not talking just financially. If you need someone to pray for you, if you need someone to just be an ear to listen to, if, if you need help with a situation that someone may know how to deal with, you know, I got little kids. Some people have been through the little kid stage. I could say, Renee, how'd you handle this? Or some people have more kids than I have. And, and it's okay to say, hey, I feel like I'm losing my mind. What do you guys do? And they say, oh, please, you're losing. We can lean on each other and admit we're not perfect, but it takes humility. But understand this, we need to be willing to admit that we have a need. We need to be willing to admit, first and foremost, Jesus, I need you. How many people in the world aren't humble enough to tell God they need him to be forgiven for their sin? Oh, I, I, just, you work your best, you get to heaven. That sounds great, doesn't it? Please, that's pride talking. That's saying God doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm not admitting that I have a problem with God and I'm going to heaven. Think of the humility it takes to say, God, I am worthless, I am unable on my own, I am a complete and miserable failure. Will you please forgive me? That takes incredible humility that can only come from God. After we become humble, we run into this little problem of, of growing in our faith. Well, we fall back in that self-reliant, self-dependent role, right? Well, I can do it. If I just read the Bible enough and memorize these scriptures and I do these acts of service and I talk to somebody about Jesus each week, then I'm going to be a mature Christian. And you know what happens? After a period of time, you are just burnt out and thinking, this is just miserable. Well, of course it is. Because you're letting pride creep in and you're not being humbly dependent on God. Humility requires asking people for help. Humility requires trusting God. He says to Peter... Um, what I am doing now, you do not understand, but afterwards, you will understand. If Jesus is washing your toilets, folks, just say thank you. Should he be washing your toilets? No. Do you deserve him to wash your toilet? No. Why did he wash your toilet? Maybe you should sit on the couch while he washes your toilet and think about why he's washing your toilet. You don't deserve it, but he sure does love you. You and I can give through love and serving. You and I can receive through love and serving. But they require tremendous humility. So, we have a, we have a story, a real-life historical event of God in the flesh washing somebody's feet. The toilet, it's about as close as I can get to washing feet. You've got to get lower than the toilet, because we all clean toilets. I couldn't think of something that nobody does out there. 
When, when we lived in Chicago, there were dog parks all over the place, and they had this pet butler service that would come. And there was a guy who would come late in the day and pick up dog poop. That was his job. And I remember thinking, that's just a really bad job. I don't know if that's what I was thinking in my mind, but like, there are some jobs where, where you like do menial tasks for people. This guy is doing a menial task for a dog. That's pretty lowly, no? Now imagine if the guy who got out of the pet butler truck was Jesus. Now we're getting a little closer to the foot washing, but we've got to keep going down more. This is, a, this is a ludicrous concept that Jesus washed people's feet. You and I aren't called to scrub people's feet. I wash my kids' feet. Not that big a deal. They wear socks and sneakers. If they wear Crocs, Lord does baths. We're not called to wash people's feet. We're called to humbly serve others based on the grace we have received through being cleansed by Christ. People look different when we see them through godly eyes as opposed to prideful eyes. How do we do it? Well, it starts on the inside. We need to understand more fully who we are, what Jesus did for us, why he did it, and what it means to accept that. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. The more fully we understand who he is, the more fully we will be unable, through his strength and power, to do it. And then here's the incredibly upside-down ludicrous thing. As we do this, we will see and know the joy that comes from living the way that God calls us to. Think of how many people spend their whole life trying to get into situations where they can have as many people as possible serve them. We all love to be served, no? You like to go out to a restaurant for dinner because people cook you the food, they bring you the food, and they clean the dishes. Now, there's nothing wrong with going to a restaurant. It's, oh, if you take your pastor, it's better. There's nothing wrong with going to a restaurant. But we like to be served more than we like to serve. Jesus, the one who will be served by all people, before whom every knee will bow and tongue will confess that he is Lord. That guy, Jesus, he came down to clean the toilets, to drive the pet butler truck, to wash the feet 2,000 years ago. And then he says to us, go and do likewise. Sometimes we get the smiles and the fact that our feet got cleaned. I'm good before God. i got to go tell the whole world, Jesus loves me, this I know. This is true. What does he say to do? Go dance around and smile? Well, you can dance around and smile. You should. Go and do likewise. Our job is to go out and take care of one another. We'll see that coming up in a week or two. Love one another as I have loved you. That's actually in the next chapter. Our job is to go out and serve people not because it brings us pleasure. I do not believe for a minute that Jesus scrubbed Judas's feet thinking, this is such a great guy, I am so happy to be washing his feet. He did it because it brought joy to the Father. And it's what he was supposed to do, to bring joy to the Father, to serve the Father. You and I are called to go out and serve people as Jesus had, in humility, because God, in humility before us, that sounds like a ridiculous concept, doesn't it? God humbled himself, taking on the form of us, served us first. This is one of those passages that I can't wrap up clean in a sermon, and you're going to walk out of here and just say, I got it. 
That's so clear. I'm out of here. This is one of those where here's your main application. Go home and read it slow. 17 verses. Read it a few times. Close your Bible up and say, God, can you please help me out with this one? Who are you calling me to serve? Who are you calling to allow to serve me? God, would you open my eyes of of areas that I have pride and call it humility and create in me a clean heart, renew a right spirit within me so that I can bring glory to you as Jesus did, so that I can serve people not because I want to, but because you've commanded me to. And when we're willing to do that, then we see the joy that comes from a life of obedience to Christ. Can't wrap it up neat for you. But those are 17 verses we would all be well served to read time and time again and chew on the concept that God in the flesh died on the cross for us. That He became sin to take the wrath of God that was to be poured out upon us. Why? Because He loved us. How do you grasp how much love that is? How wide, how deep is the love of Christ? The more we chew on that, the more unable we will be to help but serve everyone we can because we know how much God loves them, even the Judases. Let's pray. Father, this is uh, one of those sermons where I just feel um, maybe I press a little too hard on trying to explain from my messed up perspective as one who you still need to teach much about this. I pray that you would... Um, You would take the seeds of your word and plant them deeply in all of our hearts. That you would show us that service is is such a wonderful gift you've entrusted to us, not not a task to be disdained. That when we understand more fully what it means that you washed the disciples' feet, but more fully that you died on the cross for us, that we would be unable but to find true joy in going out and serving for your glory whoever it may be. Help us see people, God, through your eyes, not as people who we want to serve us and use for our benefit, but as people who you love, as people who you made, as people who you came and died for so that if they would believe, they would have eternal life. God, I am thankful that heaven is not populated with those I choose, but rather with those you've chosen. And I thank you so much that you have chosen me and that you have chosen those of us gathered here today who love Jesus. Why did you choose us, God? Why did you open our eyes to the truth? Why did you die on the cross for us? Let those be the why questions we ask rather than why do I have to help this person? Help us, God, focus on you in all areas. Help us know you more fully. Help us, God, understand the incredible love that you have for us and that you will care for us perfectly. And our job is so simple. It's simply to trust and to follow. And as we do, God, the abundant life, the fruit that we will bear, the joy that we will have will exceed our greatest expectations. And even more amazing, it gets better and better for all of eternity as we dwell in your presence in perfection. Thank you, God, for sending Jesus for us. Thank you, God, for the opportunity that you give us to join you in your work. And thank you, God, for the harvest that you promise us we will see. I pray that you will bear much fruit through each and every one of us, through your glory. 
Help us stay focused on the roots and trust the growth to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.